Great. So, hi everyone. Welcome back to the 20th session of Battery Revolution. <laughs> we're very happy that now is the 20th week we're hosting this. Um, so, thank you for following us, uh, myself and Simon, uh, for 20 weeks. It's <laughs> very impressive that all of you guys are still here. Um, today, we're very happy to have Benedict as our um, fireside speaker, which I'll let Simon introduce in a short while. Um, just, I'm currently seeing a lot of people with party hats on so um congrats to all the um <laughs> android users or iphone users who have recently just joined us on clubhouse very excited to have you as well um so just to give you some background and idea as to the club and how we started um simon and myself actually met on clubhouse um 20 weeks ago um so we decided to kind of um, just kind of have a platform where all the people in batteries can meet together, um, just share our interest and um, build a network. Yeah, so um, if you if you see on the top left-hand side of the screen, you will see a battery revolution. Feel free to follow us um, on our club there and we will have our session every Saturday um, at 3 p.m. CET. Um, so some housekeeping rules, if you'd like to join us on stage at any point in time, feel free to raise your hand and we'll let you up on stage. And once you're on stage, if you'd like to speak, um, feel free to tap your mic twice. And if you'd like to clap, um, feel free to flutter your mic. Um, so this session lasts for one and a half hours. Um, so from now to about 4.30 p.m. CET. Um, so we typically have a lot of people who want to join a conversation towards the end of the session. So please do, you know, feel free to join us early on um, so we can end our time for everyone. Great. So um, I'll pass on to Simon to do the introductions and the rest. Thanks so much, Catherine. Yeah, and very much yeah, agree. It's, it's amazing that we're on a 20th session already. Um, it definitely flew by and it's really exciting to, you know, to have you all join us. You know, I think I really love these conversations every Saturday. I'm learning a lot from each other and you know also i think we made many friends over this so which is really nice as well and um yeah so maybe just one last thing um to add as well as you see on top in the title as well there's a little red button and a rec sign so we record these sessions as well we started doing so because you know android users couldn't couldn't listen in but even now we think it's also beneficial for people to listen into some of these conversations when they cannot um, make them in person so if you go on batteryinsiders.com or on spotify or apple podcasts or anywhere else you can find these sessions uh, recording there as well and if there's anything you know you want to kind of you know be cut out or something you can also approach myself and we can handle that as well but yeah it shouldn't be really an issue it hasn't been an issue so far Brilliant, yeah. And then without any further ado, today we have a topic of battery industrialization and I'm very excited to, to have you know all your insights on this as well. And we have a fantastic conversation starter. As Catherine mentioned, we have Benedict Konasman with us um, who works with P3 and if he likes, he can also do this a bit more. But yeah, I know him as someone who spends a lot of time on thinking about how can we scale up these productions um, you know, in Europe and also elsewhere and just very excited to have him with us and share his insights on this topic today. Without any other yeah, thanks, Simon. Um, so first of all, thank you very much for letting me participate and also having the discussion today about uh, about the industrialization topic. Um, I, I have joined actually um, Clubhouse, I think, two days ago. So I'm an Android user. It's quite new to me. 
but I, I listened into some of your previous episodes from Spotify. So I also very much like um, the format and, and like like the discussion I, I at least listened to in, in the in the Spotify um, um, recordings. So very much looking forward to today and. Yes, so how I would like to approach this topic um, is basically to give you, you a short introduction what I'm doing personally and then just, you know, let's start talking about industrialization. Uh, I would tell you a little bit how I see the topic, how I see the topic specifically in Europe because I think there are a lot of interesting things happening actually on a weekly basis. Um, just to see uh, who is joining the industry or who wants to join the industry and all that. And yeah, from there on, I would just um, would like to open up the discussion and then see which, which topics resonate the most and we could discuss the most. Yeah. Um, just to start off with with... Giving you a personal introduction, I'm a senior consultant with P3. I'm a team lead for the, for the whole topic of um, industrialization for electromobility. Um, so we are not just doing batteries, but also electric motors, electric harnesses, um, power electronics, all the kinds of um, powertrain components that need to be industrialized now to, to get electric vehicles into the market. So, um, yeah, that's something we've been doing in this team for several years now. And we, we very much have been with this growing industry, at least here in Europe, for the last 15 years. And then what we are doing is usually we try to support um, guys from the car industry or it's also now also from the battery industry in all things um, considering industrialization, planning and, and feasibility studies for new productions. And yeah, uh, that's basically what I have a lot of experience into, basically set up productions, set up production concepts, and really starting at the, I would call it theoretical um, decisions and theoretical um, um, analysis to, to make the best decision from a productive and a product production and product standpoint for now example batteries and then move toward the, the realization and actually setting up a production. So that's of course the very important thing. And um, that's I think also the, the topic that's right now for the battery industry the most interesting part. I think when, when we would have had this discussion maybe two or three years ago. We would still have the discussion, is e-mobility going to work? Are, is, are batteries the way to go? And to be honest with you, that's for me a discussion that has for the electric car, for the passenger car, there's been a solution for that. It's, it's quite clear that the path will go on to be, to be that lithium-ion batteries are going to be the, the the key technology for electric mobility. So now the big question, of course, is how can we produce them in a scale that is sufficient to actually meet market demand and, and to drive market demand for that measure? And for that, you need a very large volume of battery cells. So even if you 
I think I've seen market studies that go from demand studies that go from around one terawatt hour in 2030 to around five terawatt hour or four terawatt hours just in Europe in 2030. And that's, of course, these are huge numbers. Um, just to give you some perspective, I think the last uh, headline I, th I saw from LG Poland that they were trying to tackle four gigawatt hours. Uh, 40 gigawatt hours of, of um, installed production. That's basically the biggest cell factory that we have right now in Europe. And that's, of course, still a, a long way to go from from the terawatt hour scale in in all regards. And as, as you've probably all followed as well, there have been a lot of new companies joining the market. Joining, especially in Europe, you have guys like Northvolt, which which are I would also already kind kind of call the most established startup in the battery space, a space because they actually are, are qu have quite good progress and and have shown their first products. And of course, there are even newer players like guys like Inobat, like um, Freya or other startups, then there are the players like um, RCC, or ACC, or um, which have um, OEM backing and, and which actually try to set up production with a specific OEM partner in mind. Same, of course, goes with VW's plans that are planning to set up, I think, several giga gigafactories with 40 gigawatt hours, 50 gigawatt hours of scale which they announced in their power day. So you can see here that there are a lot of players um, joining the market. And you would think that these startups and, and also the maybe more established players from other industries have, have a good grasp at, at industri industrializing batteries at a large scale. But that's actually a big bottleneck because you're lacking experience in the overall European market or in general in the world, of course, in Asia, you, you, you have in China and Korea and Japan, you have the ex experience, but still it's, it's spread across a lot of projects that are now starting and the, the challenges that have to be tackled with the large demand and the rapid pace of industrialization for batteries. At the same time, you have these technology developments, you know, when we're talking about nickel-rich cathodes and all these stuff, all these things, that's, of course, a whole other ballgame. And they have to basically, so, so to, to sum this part up, new battery producers, or, or for the next years in battery production, we have to produce more cells that have higher performance and essentially better quality. And these are all, I would call them, you know, like three, um, the three main areas of, of, of the, or three main challenges of industrialization. These are all challenges in themselves just to achieve one, you know, to, to get to a large scale. It's very hard. And it gets even harder and even more challenging if you want to combine these things. So to get with a very high performing cell 
get that produced in in a way that in a large scale and with a high quality that's actually the what i would call a golden triangle of 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 what i would consider production and production quality and then that's only considering um non economical issues so if you put the battery costs and the whole economics of battery production on top of that then you you basically get an additional um dimension of of challenges and yeah so so what what i would want to talk to you about today um to get also more in the specifics is exactly these challenges how can 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 we tackle them how do companies tackle them and um yeah how can we succeed essentially in in getting these all these promises all these announcements from new players from um for larger battery manufacturing um faster battery manufacturing and essentially higher performing batteries as a result and um, how can we get these promises to really be realized in the next 10 years because if if the batteries are not good the whole electric electric car revolution the whole market will will not grow as fast as, as we would like them to um yeah that that would be kind of my introduction to to get very specific maybe one example where, where i think one of the biggest challenges or where i see it um is actually the the i would like to to focus here on the battery quality so Mm, that might be something that's not discussed too much about especially in the, with with the background of industrialization however we've all seen these videos these photos or stories about burning electric cars and uh, i also know the the statistics that, that state um internal combustion engine cars are of course much more likely to to burn down however it's still bad publicity it's still not good if batteries burn down and now you could of course say that that's a development issue that's a pure product issue and has nothing to do with industrialization or pr battery production for that matter now i would put out the point that i actually believe that right now the the whole issue of of battery fires and for the future the issue of battery fires is a is a predominantly production focused topic because uh, from my experience especially the the car manufacturers um the european ones or the established car manufacturers they have right now a very good idea what what the batteries can and cannot do they have very specific testing and very specific uh, very good specifications to get a battery battery cell into the market and to make sure it runs safely now how why are still why are there still these these things where where cars burn down usually it is that's at least what i know of these different issues it has something to do with the fact that batteries are not properly produced so when the car company just to give you some idea about battery development when a car company buys a battery cell there's a development process where they essentially test very 
in very much detail that the battery can perform safely in the car and perform according to the required um, performance data. So it can, so they make sure that the battery can fast charge. It can last for a certain amount of mileage. All these things are usually taken care of by development. Now, why do these car fires still happen? And that's to me, that's because the production quality is actually not on a level and production technology to really put out batteries at a constant quality uh, level on a quality level that is so high that these fires cannot happen. Now, what, what does it mean? Usually these, these fires happen because none of the, the, these fires happen because the batteries that were produced are capable of, um, are capable of performing and, and safely performing in the car, but the, the, um, the production quality and there are some bad pieces in the batch and therefore they cannot perform and, and will fail. And that's essentially a production issue that, that we need to tackle. Yeah. Thank you, Benedict, for, for this great opening. I think yeah, it's production and scale up and it's definitely something I think along the lines we've been also um, talking about before. Um, maybe just one quick question before also coming to the to people already raising their hands, and that's also an invitation to raise your hand if you have any thoughts on this topic or any questions for Benedict. Um, because right now you mentioned, right, we have a range of different players, so I'm just going to mute you, so I think otherwise there's a feedback loop. Um, so one thing, you know, you mentioned as well as we have quite a few players, um, you know, traditional players, you know, from Asia, like CATL and others, now, for example, also moving to Europe, you know, and building up production here. And of course, to bring you know a lot of experience, you know, of, of scale up, um, as you have mentioned. Another end, you have like newer players such as Northwold and others who kind of you know building up from fresh. And of course, they're also hiring lots of experts from other companies. And you know, it's, it's it's not like you know isolated. But I'm just kind of curious, what's your thinking right now? Who are going to be like you know the biggest producers, for example, in Europe? Right? Will it be traditional companies who are going to like you know or like previous companies, big players, going to move to Europe, or do you think it's actually going to be its own industry? such as, you know, Northwold and a few others in the pipeline? Um, so so I, I think it will essentially be something in between. You will have, um, that's, I think that's basically the point of the European Union pushing a lot of money into battery industries with the IPSE and, and all the other funding projects. The goal is to have a local European market and guys like Northwold and, and others actually participating in that market and delivering to that market. I think here um, the close relation to the European car manufacturers will play a key role. So you will essentially have some some very close alignments, which you're already seeing between the European cell, man, battery, cell and battery manufacturers and the, and the car manufacturers, or even something that would, I would count as having in-house battery production for, for car companies. and at the same time, we will still have these these big players like, like LG and SK and all that playing a role in the European market just because the they have the production sites, they have the know-how, and over the next years, they will also 
increase their production volume and just utilize this this know-how to, to catch market share in Europe. Great. Thanks a lot. Um, Catherine, do you have some other questions? Otherwise, you can also go to Varun. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks so much, Benedict, for that um, really comprehensive you know, overview of battery industrialization. I think you've covered actually a lot of topics that we've also talked about in our previous sessions. Um, one thing that you mentioned you would like to highlight mostly on is the battery uh, quality. And just build, just building up on that, last week we also spoke brief, very briefly about standardizations of battery. And I was just thinking, you know, there are a lot of battery certifications out there as to what kind of um, safety standards they need to comply with, the ULs and 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 the UNs. Um, and it's it's interesting how how um, the battery quality definitely for sure would impact. Uh, so, sorry, I meant the the uh, quality of manufacturing would impact the ultimate performance of the battery itself. I'm also curious as to your thoughts on the R&D aspect of the battery, say, for example, safer batteries, chemistries, and how that would potentially, you know, help to solve uh, the, the, the quality issues of batteries uh, when using EVs. And when do you foresee that the more novel type of um, battery chemistry would be able to um, be widely used in the market in, in, in the future? Okay, yeah. Um, let's just start maybe with with the whole to clarify the whole point of battery production and and safety. So my my point or, or what I tr was trying to get at is that these cells are tested and they are tested by international standards and by um, company internal standards for for different applications. And my argument would be especially for electric vehicles that. The companies know what they're doing and all these batteries that are now burning down, they actually shouldn't be burning down. If you look at the quality tests, this should not happen. There are very rare instances where actually I, I think um, the, the, the batteries um, were not engineered correctly especially in the electric vehicle market. Um, Hello. Hi. How are you? Um, we're good. Thanks, Yusuf. Please, be, um, please um, we're going to meet you till um, we're going to, yeah, you are at the... At the um, just, just to catch back my train uh, for thought here. So the, the issue, the, the production, of course, doesn't improve or or um, yeah, that cannot improve the, the basic um, safety features of a battery, but it can definitely impact them in a negative way. So you, you, you basically get the, the issue with battery production or production quality is always these, these nev negative outliers. And they are to me the ones responsible for quality issues in the product, be it a car or be it a a scooter or anything else. So usually you can track down any fire in any battery to a very specific cell that might, you know, not have the or might have a wrinkled separator because the stacking or the winding process will had some kind of defect that maybe had a particle from a welding process. So 
you know, having an internal short circuit because there was a metal particle from laser welding some part of the battery cell or battery. And these are things that, that really can impact battery safety. And therefore, I, I believe there's this strong connection. And to for your second point, Catherine, with the novel chemistries and novel technologies, I think they will come and, and they will the, the challenge to, to, to industrialize them as quickly as possible. And the, the, the specific challenge here is that the more aggressive these novel chemistries are, the, the more challenging it will be to produce. So, so the, actually the, the quality parameters for, for new chemistries, like nickel-rich chemistries, like these new anode materials, they are rising. You need better dry room environments. You need more precise processes. So all the mistakes that maybe some old NMC, older NMC111 or yeah, some other technology mistakes that they might have forgiven over a lifetime, these are now production um, production errors that it, it will have a a fatal impact or on battery life potentially. So so that's kind of the the area of, of challenges we have to work here in this yeah for this topic. Yeah, thanks thanks so much, Benedict. Uh, yeah, speaking of battery chemistry, this is also very interesting that recently there's an article on BBC about how um, you know moving to net zero would inevitably mean that we will need more mining of the raw materials and um just 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 some figures for everyone of interest here. Um, if well, the UK has already announced that they they wish to move all car new cars to electric by 2030 from 2030 onwards. Um, but to do that, it would actually require about um, four times of, of of the current annual production of cobalt, um, which is which is really interesting um, because that would mean. Um, you know, all the way from the supply chain, we need to ensure that we will have good raw materials, uh, sufficient supply of raw materials, all the way to, you know, ensuring that during the production of the battery cells, um, um, everything is in, the, in, in order and according to the, um, the requirements for a safe battery and to the packing of the batteries um, that complies with certifications out there and all the way uh, up to recycling at the end of life of the battery. So, so it's very interesting how um, all these things come together when we talk about battery industrialization. Um, I've also seen that we have a couple of people that join us on stage. So we'd like to go in the order that we currently see here. Um, so it's Warren, Dionys, Milos, and Animesh. Warren, hi, the stage is yours. Hi, thank you. So I have three questions in mind. I was going to start the other way, but I'll start because of the what you guys just talked about with battery chemistry. I'll go with my third question first. What does what do you think of lithium iron phosphate chemistry, which number one avoids the concern about cobalt, number two um, is ample supply of the materials. There's no issue with it. There's an, a, a basically unlimited supply of iron and phosphate, and I think there's enough lithium for that. And then seems to be a more reliable chemistry that's been around for a long time and is less prone to quality issues. My other questions relate to Tesla and QuantumScape, but I wanted to ask this first. Maybe I can start from, from a production perspective here. 
LFP in the, in the classical sense is actually quite, as you already mentioned, quite reliable, Warren. Um, you have established processes. And so, so what, what you can see on the material level, actually these advantages for industrialization are also there for LFP chemistry. Um, of course, what, what's kind of the, in my perspective, kind of the, the issue here is that it currently does not fit the, the requirements for high performance electric vehicles. So, so, um, yeah, from a production side, also very reliable and, and, Less challenging technology if, if you if you um, are able to catch the the basic challenges of battery production it should be easy to or or very doable to to produce out of P chemistry batteries and that's also why a lot of Chinese companies have started with out of P batteries and then moved to other chemistries like NMC. Yeah. Okay, so my next question was I, it's really the same question. What are your thoughts on Tesla Battery Day and the prospect of Tesla having a 100 gigawatt hour battery production factory in Brandenburg, Germany? Uh, you know, capacity by the end of 20, not, not full production of per year, but uh, potential production capacity of 100 gigawatt hours by the end of 2022. And what are your thoughts on the prospect of QuantumScape achieving production at scale sometime in the next five years? Um, yeah, so, so the first point is, of course, for Tesla, it's never to bet against Elon Musk, I think. That's something we all learned. And, uh, but I, I think, the, of course, the battery production is tackled or is, is impacted by the same delays that, that have already been communicated also in Tesla Berlin. Um, the, I think that the, the part that I see most critical for the timeline here is for well, the two parts of it. It's first, of course, to get the right talent. Tesla has a lot of experience with batteries, but we, we have to, to remember that the bulk of the cell production done, um, for Tesla has been done by Panasonic. So they are very close to that technology. They have a lot of know-how. But they still need to, they, they are not a, a cell producer. So that's something that they still have to learn. And yes, so, so the timeline is very ambitious. And, um, the, the ramp up will be challenging, especially with all these new technologies that they have, um, announced with the dry coat, dry electrode coating and the new anode materials. So my point of view is that they will be able to, to start a production, maybe not in 2022, maybe a little later, but I don't think they will be ready to start immediately with this, with all these technologies that they have announced. So, um, yeah, it will be step-by-step -step process from, from, that, from, from 2022 going on. And then your thoughts on QuantumScape? Yeah, QuantumScape, it's, it's, I think a lot of people talk about solid state and it's very interesting and, and especially from the product side as from the chemistry side, there are a lot of challenges that are discussed frequently. The production process for, for quantum scape or for all solid state in general is very challenging. And just to give you an idea that there's no, currently no 
equipment supplier, to my knowledge, that can offer any equipment to produce solid-state cells uh, at a gigawatt-hour scale. That's also why you often hear companies like QuantumScape or other solid-state startups saying that they want to do uh, drop-in solutions. And um, I don't think that that will be that easy. I haven't seen any proof of concept that there's a drop-in solid-state solution for current battery productions. So um, this timeline for five years is actually quite challenging because you have to keep in mind that QuantumScape has to develop its technology for to, to get a large enough cell to, to basically scale the technology or the, 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 the product itself and then also find a partner or do it in-house to, to basically develop the production equipment. And, and that will be, um, yeah, that, that will be the biggest challenge to develop, but develop both, both production equipment and product. And if you look at the other startups that, that are now coming in Europe and also in the US, they usually use a established or more established technology and established production equipment. So, well, what other battery manufacturers can do and just go to some equipment suppliers like from China, Wuxi Lead or from Germany, Mans or someone like that. You can just order your battery equipment there without much engineering effort or engineering know-how. And, and for, for solid state, that does not work. So QuantumScape will have to do a lot of development work together with some partner. And that's that's for, for, for five years that's that's a rough timeline. Yeah. And just really quick, what are your thoughts on various cell formats, prismatic pouch and cylindrical? Yeah. Um I think there there was a shift after uh, during the last year. I think prismatic is, is now at least in Europe in a big focus. China is the same. Um yeah, so so uh, I I wouldn't say there's any clearly winning format, but I think the prismatic has gained a lot of momentum. And yeah, maybe a little bit um, less pouch cell, um, but but the cylindrical cell also with, with Tesla announcements. So I think all cell formats have basically had a little bit of an update over the last year. And and now we will have to see which will stay the most competitive here. So not a clear answer on that right now from my side. Thank you. Milos, do you just want to continue? Yeah. I think Darnes is also there. So I just had to drop out. Okay. Let's go to Darnes very first. Hi, Darnes. Or he disappeared. So, okay, Milos, you're next. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Benedict, Hi. I would ask you, the first, question, the first question I would ask you, I think we have like 70 year one uh, battery producers. I don't, uh, uh, what do you think, which, uh, I, I believe that some Chinese uh, automotive producers, they are risking to put the, uh, tier of two battery producers uh, uh, to their uh, to their cars, but I don't believe that there is any 
European or American uh, automaker who is risking uh, to put bat uh, tier two battery producers to their car. What do you think that uh, which uh, battery producer can break from tier two to tier one? I I think we have seven tier one producers, only seven. I think it's critical to uh, to the what you said before to the quality and quantity of the batteries which we will have available. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely right. Right, and and I think a very interesting point to yeah to to see um if, if this difference between tier one and tier two suppliers, uh, in not in the sense of of um. Um, of direct or indirect supplies, but in the sense of quality and, and market application. Um, yeah, and, and that's, of course, something that's very interesting also to these new players in the market because they will have to, they will have to aim to, to become, to become uh, suppliers for the, the, for the OEMs, for the car industry. Otherwise, they, they will not be able to, to um, participate in this scaling of, of the of the car industry of the electric cars so, so that's actually yeah basically the the one of the critical milestones that that a cell manufacturer has to reach that they produce batteries that are that are good uh, that are interesting to a car manufacturer and i think um here the how can a, uh, a second class or, or second tier supplier get get an edge here and, and maybe compete for 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 the car industry? And um, here, definitely, um, we're getting back to the point of quality. So um, you have to show as a cell manufacturer that you can deliver a acceptable quality at at of course also an acceptable performance. So cell technology itself also plays a role. That's often the issue that they cannot reach certain performance indicators. Um, if they have a good enough quality, that's, that's usually the, I would say the good um, second class suppliers can actually catch the, the um, quality, but they cannot catch the, the, um, the performance data and then of course the third major point is um, the always the economical part as well so um, there are uh, that might not count as much for the Chinese suppliers but for example here in Europe you have some smaller cell manufacturers some specialists they, they can never compete for the um, electric vehicle market because they're just not com cost competitive so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I understood that. The, I was asking the question mostly because of the quality and which one they can break to the tier one because we have only seven one of them. But uh, another question what I have, you were talking about technologies, new technologies, which uh, they have the chance to be commercialized. What do you think? Uh, about the, which technology, which particularly, I think that we have like three potential breakthrough technology. And because you said uh, relatively quickly, they can break through. Uh, so uh, uh, what do you mean relatively quickly? What do you think? Do you think that we will have the until end of the decade, some breakthrough technology in the lithium ion battery? Yeah, 
Um, yeah, it probably depends a little bit on on what you consider a breakthrough. So um, at the until the end of the decade, I think something like all solid state is in the, is is possible, but um, it will not be that that the lithium-ion battery as we know it today will be replaced by it. I see it more as an addition and maybe a potential for new market participants to actually make that jump to become a top-tier supplier. So with a very good solid-state technology, you can become a, a great competitor in the market. And But I don't think that we will see a major replacement of the lithium-ion technology as we see it today. And by any other technology, be it also the state, lithium, sulfur, or sodium, iron, anything like that. So, so the lithium-ion battery with liquid electrolyte will stay the dominant technology for the years to come with some incremental changes like, I, I call them incremental, but they are, they are still big changes like nickel-rich, even more nickel-rich cathodes, cobalt-free cathodes, new materials on the anode. These are all big steps, but from, from a production side, it's not something completely new. Yes, I agree with you 100%, but uh, uh, still tackle the first question. You said uh, the solid state uh, uh, has the chance to break through like the niche technology or some additional technology. Are you basing it on what? On the wish or on the rumors or on, on the facts? <laughs> what kind of facts? Because solid state, yeah. solid state technology, uh, uh, the John Gooden of tried to do solid state technology for uh, 50 years ago, and we still yeah. don't have them. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, however, I've I've done some projects on it, and, and we've done teardowns and seen some samples and all that. Based on that, it's it's not yet ready. Um, but if 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 I take I've, I've been working in the space of solid state also for like the past five years. And when I look at the development that it took for the last five years and now see, see all the capital and money that flows into it, I, I believe we will see the, the, the improvements that solid state technology still needs over the next years. And I, then I don't think I, I think we can we, we will see at, at the end of the decade some all solid state players actually entering the market and having some some kind of um, yeah market power as well not just in the in the very niche applications but really um, also having some at a gigawatt hour scale some impact on the market. Thank you, Milos. And Benedict, I think there's some, some excellent questions, but I think also we want to move to to the next people because we have quite a few people as want to ask questions as well. We have some thoughts, so let's go to Animesh next. Hey Simon, hey Catherine, hi Benedict. Uh, thanks a lot for your introduction. Uh, so I wanted to touch a bit more about the issue of first, like you know, basically the battery cell reliability that you mentioned, uh, especially related to production processes. So again, cell reliability is not a new issue. It's something we have seen a lot in the consumer electronics space where we had uh, smartphones by reputed manufacturers like Samsung, battery cells made by companies like ATL and Samsung blow up. Oh, well, okay. 
So uh, made by companies like uh, Samsung and ATL Catch Fire over the 90s and early 2000s, one of the uh, areas where a number of uh, Chinese battery cell manufacturers had to ca- catch up was precisely uh, uh, improvement in cell manufacturing, uh, improvement in cell reliability through manufacturing. And most of them have done a great job so far. Uh, so when it comes to, I would say, reliability, uh, Catherine touched upon, you know, there are a bunch of requirements, uh, UN, uh, the UN requirement, the Japanese requirement, BATSA requirements, so, uh, so on. And when it comes to dealing with the statistical outliers that you mentioned, uh, there are already, I would say, a number of manufacturing best practices which are applied, right? Like, for example, uh, if you're, let's say, something as a separator producer or even a current collector, uh, you know, supplier, uh, you need to most most likely they use Six Sigma, I would say, methodologies to make sure that there is very high quality control. Uh, the same thing applies for cell manufacturers. They, way they apply Six Sigma, even more uh, stringent requirements to make sure that the cell finally produced are free of defects uh, so that, you know, incidences don't take place. Um, similarly, um, even before uh, the procurement of any component, a critical component of a cell is made, uh, there is very extensive supply chain audit that is done by the company purchasing from them, right? The quality of the incoming materials, the quality of the outgoing products are very thoroughly evaluated. And besides this, normally, uh, you know, even if you're a small battery pack, uh, the cell manufacturer has to give you a warranty uh, that you know, only one out of 10,000 or 100,000 cells can have a certain defect or can be susceptible. Uh, and again, uh, car companies themselves have a very strong incentive to make sure that uh, fires don't happen. We saw the recent incident recalls with Hyundai, Neo, and even other car makers in the past. However, again, this is a statistical game. So my basic question is: uh, Do you, how do you reckon that these existing best practices could be improved, uh, especially in light of, uh, as you mentioned, there are newer chemistries that that will have even more uh, possibilities of production defects or do you reckon that this is just i would say the there will certain remain certainly be a degree like a probability of uh, effective products getting out in the market the 0.0001% at the, the tail end of a six sigma that will that will already always exist um, just as how we've come to live with it with consumer electronics and that's uh, animated that's, that's a very interesting point that you make and um, I, I think mm, the the point here is Six Sigma is, of course, the the golden standard of production quality. That's, I think, um, everyone who ever touched on production knows the standard, where it's really, um, you mentioned the number, it's, it's, it's still in the very low, low, low um, percentage way where there are any errors to happen. You have all these quality um, measurements, all these these um, actions to optimize quality and to make sure you have a well-working product with good quality. Now, my my issue isn't so much with the with the Six Sigma in itself with this quality measurement. It's more that I, from my personal experience, have never seen any battery cell that actually was produced with a compliant with Six Sigma. So I actually had that uh, discussion with with some some um, cell suppliers a couple of years ago that 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 mentioned that to me that everyone always tells them to do Six Sigma but it's so far away for them so they do all these methods they 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 try to have all these quality control measures but they will never catch this this high quality rate 
because there's just the, the battery cell in itself with all the chemistry inside and, and, and basically this active chemical reaction going on inside the product all the time. That's just, that has so high quality impacts that, that the, that they will never, that even with all six Sigma quality measures implemented, they cannot ensure a high functionality of the battery cell or at the level that we want. So, so you're very correct on, on that topic that we might have to, to, to look at six Sigma from a battery perspective and, and actually yeah, learn learn specifically for the battery industry what what a quality best practice is because so far I've not seen any player that what, what I would consider a desirable quality measurement or quality control. There's there's no one yet in my mind that has mastered that challenge. Yep, that's very insightful. Thank you, Animesh and Benedict. Sergio, would you like to go next? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Benedict, for, for, for your talk. Um, um, I, I, I'm, I'm co-founder at the company that we do some type of innovation in, in electrode manufacturing, so this is very interesting for us. Um, so uh, what you mentioned about uh, quality problems in, in battery manufacturing, it's well... It's well plain in a in a called the future of battery manufacturing for electric vehicles. Uh, but what they say also is that uh, that battery manufacturing is not only uh, played with quality problems, but on, also with efficiency problems. And and. And what they say there, and we we at Dynami we coincide, is that current battery production lines rely on equipments and methodologies that are obsolete and that will never be able to fulfill the promise of of electric vehicles with such technology. So, what what can you tell us about uh, the efforts? I guess that mainly Europe be made on improving aspects of uh, battery manufacturing. I mean, equipment, um, uh, industry for the zero, data-rich production, etc. Yeah, that's that's Pedro. That's a very interesting point, and I, and I think I, I know this paper as well. And um, there's some truth in that, and 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 uh, some things I would not um, say quite this. Um, this strictly, or, or I, I would not say that, for example, the current production technology cannot is not put um, per se um, e efficient enough. Um, of course, if you, if you want to um, get to a point of below seventy US dollars per, per on cell level per kilowatt hour, and um, you will have to think production new. Um, just to give you an idea of what we are currently talking about, um, when we look at line efficiency or, yeah, um, the overall uh, um, equipment uh, um, efficiency, so the OEE, I'm not sure if, if you are familiar with that. It's essentially taking all the downtimes of equipment, all the quality issues, 
and and um, all the good and not good parts into one number. And that's usually for a very well industrialized process um, around 85%. That, that's very good. So just to keep that in mind, um, the most battery productions run at around 70, the very good ones between 70 and 80. I've seen um, some manufacturers that run productions for over a decade that have not surpassed 60%. So with that point, Sergio, you, you, you made a very important, you, you touched on a very important topic that the efficiency of the, of the process has to be increased. And that's, of course, possible with new production equipment and better production equipment and also a better understanding of production equipment. Um, how do, do, do we tackle that? How can you tackle it? There are, of course, measures like digitalization and industrial 4.0 um, measures, you know, um, additional um, AI applications, all these things that you can do for all production topics and also do for cell manufacturing that will help. You also need um, better equipment, just better hardware, so to say. I, for that point, I'm very optimistic, or for both points, because we, we have a very large scaling or, or very fast scaling going on and, and that also means to me that there's a lot of money involved and that there are a lot of equipment manufacturers that are now starting to really push battery production equipment and not just see it as some kind of special or niche application, but really see it as a core business. So here I expect that the standardized battery production equipment from market leaders will improve significantly. And yeah, and therefore also increase efficiency. The other point, of course, is new production technology. So it's, I think, something I touched briefly on um, with Ron, your question for Tesla with the dry coating. And these are, of course, the dry coating process, for example, would be very efficient and very promising if it works because you can leave out essentially one of the, the most expensive and most complex equipment pieces, the, the coating drying line, which, which is essentially, yeah, one of the key equipments of a battery production. And, um, yeah, just make, and, and then in the long term also increase the speed. That would be, um, that would be a major step to basically tackle these issues. But so far, this technology yeah, has not been shown to work at scale and has not been applied at a gigawatt hour scale, to my knowledge, in the battery industry yet. And yeah, maybe to, to sum this up, the, you would assume that the battery industry, because of its development, would be some very open technology, uh, very technology open industry. But from my experience, Especially the 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 the, the cell manufacturers that have a lot of experience in the market, they are not very open to new technology. They are very cautious and very um, and very reluctant to to change a, a running system and a system that works. So so here I think um, sometimes. 
a lot of people are are overestimate or the the uh, I would argue in a different way the 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 guys that have experience with producing battery cells they are much more conservative when it comes to new production technology than newcomers for example in Europe and this also tells me something usually that I I think there's a big challenge in applying new new technologies in a production process and yeah we will see that over the next years that people will try to apply these processes these new ones but some will definitely fail and it, it will take it, it just takes as much time as, as putting in a new material I would put that at the same level of challenge having a new production process or developing a new material Thank you, Sergio and Benedict. And um, maybe also one thing to say, actually, Ben, uh, sorry, Sergio was uh, pitched at our first battery den happening on the, which happened on the 1st of May. We actually got another battery den coming up on the 26th. So battery dens is a session where, you know, startups in the battery field can pitch to a nice panel um, of experts. And then we have like, you know, lots of other people also can come on stage and ask questions. And it's quite a nice interactive format. So if you're a startup, interested to pitch you know the work you're doing related to the battery field feel free to get in touch and you can also go on um, batterevolution.club and there's like a form you can fill out and there's also an invitation to maybe follow if you haven't done so yet the battery revolution club which you can see on the top left on your screen um, you know then you get notified about the future sessions and we got quite a few more sessions as well and this is also just one quick reset of the room because we're now at one hour into the session which means we have about half an hour left, and we always know that moves very fast. <laughs> the last half hour, where a lot of people suddenly realize they want to also speak and ask some questions and contribute. So this is just an open invitation to you know to raise your hand now if you want to you know um, come on stage. And also, this is a special invitation for for any woman because we're always trying to you know have the panels more diverse. Or if you're like a person less represented in the battery industry, feel free to to raise your hand, particularly because we love to have more diverse perspectives as well. Brilliant. With this, I'll leave it to Catherine to introduce the next speaker. Great. Thanks so much. Um, so I've, I've here on my screen, Sejo, and followed by Dan. So if we could go in that order, that would be great. Sejo, the floor is yours. Uh, hi, Catherine. Hi, Simon. Hi, Benedict. Uh, thank you for having me on the stage. Um, it, it was really insightful conversation, and um, I'm really trying to learn more about battery technology right now. So I have two questions and a couple more uh, news that I read, and I wanted to seek your reflections on that. So I'll start with the questions. So coming to the new composition in battery technology, uh, do you have any suggestions on what are the sustainable uh, composition that is being researched on that you know about? Uh, because considering lithium ion, for example, after it's uh, life, if not, if it is not recycled, probably it will end up in uh, the landfill. So, looking at the electric transition in transportation industry, um, on the long term, if you say it's not really hundred percent sustainable, so I just wanted to know your thoughts on sustainable composition. That was the first question. The second question was regarding. Uh, do you have any resources and open source software or something like that which which can be used to combine together two different 
um, probably elements and check how they react. Uh, that sort of uh, any website that you know about, I will be really interested to know. And finally, uh, the couple of reflections that I wanted to seek from you, uh, as many of you had even spoken about the production uh, related aspect also. So I had read uh, read regarding two of the um, research activities that have been done. So one by a company called as Saku, which is Sierra Alpha Kilo Uniform Uniform. So they are proposing uh, large-scale battery production through 3D printing. So I felt it is really fascinating, but I just wanted to know what could be the challenges on that front when we are bringing in new uh, rapid prototyping technologies in order to scale the production of batteries. And the second aspect, uh, the second uh, research that I wanted to get a reflection on was, uh, which is done by University of Queensland, where they're proposing a graphene enhanced aluminum ion battery um, to generate high power density. So I just wanted to get a reflection on these two uh, recent tech newses and uh, understand what are the challenges in this uh, front. So uh, that is it. I'm Sijo. I'm done speaking. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Sijo, um, thank you for the questions. Um, uh, just to start with the sustainability argument or the, the sustainability of, of battery cells and lithium ion cells. So, in my opinion, the LFP technology that we, we've discussed before might be a way to, to um, increase sustainability here just because of the, what Warren, you mentioned before, of the low criticality of materials. However, I think the key to sustainability here will be recycling. So, I'm not aware, I'm, I'm not a big research guy. My, my research days are a little bit in the past, but I've not seen any cell that can perform on, a, on the level of a lithium-ion battery and be more sustainable. So I think really the key here is to, to close the, 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 the circle, the, the, the value streams to, to get recycling to work, to scale recycling at the same level as, as the battery industry will scale. And then actually, um, I think we will have a very good solution because actually the lithium ion batteries, especially with, with nickel and cobalt content, they are very, recycling is a very feasible pro process. And, and it's also from an economic, economical space, which as soon as you hit a certain volume for recycling, it's actually a very good use case for, for LFP, actually, we, we have a little bit of an issue just from an economical perspective because, of course, these iron uh, iron and, and phosphate now are not really high-value materials. But I think with the right incentives, we can also increase sustainability here. So for me, sustainability really is a topic to tackle with recycling. And to come back to the production part, of course, we have to see that. Um, I think that's something that Northworld has pushed and, and the whole European um, battery industry basically evolves around this topic. Um, you have to make all production steps, be it battery production itself, battery cell production or material production, as green as possible. 
And then these would be basically the, the, the roads I would tackle it with. And I'm, I'm not too sure if it makes sense to, to um, make a, a tech, big technology sw switch here. I don't see that as a realistic option. But for the other question with, with the open source, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't think I can help you with that, with the open source software for reactions and all that. Um, there are a couple of good review papers that did sum up the, the reactions in a, in a, in a battery, if, if you want to get specifically into batteries, but I'm, I'm not aware of any, any open source re uh, talk, uh, software there. Um, for rapid prototyping, I think that's, that's interesting. Not so much for the large scale industrialization, no? because you have, you have to have finalized your prototyping essentially before you start your production. But on the way to the production, large scale production, rapid prototyping is of course very interesting, especially for topics like electrolyte composition and all these other stuff. Oh, and all these other material topics, I would say. And yeah, very interesting technology. I've heard several companies trying to do that, doing it, or using the methods of, of rapid prototyping to, to basically improve their battery technology. But as I see it, it's something that goes on before or in parallel to a production. Um, yeah. Graphene and, and for the other things with the graphene enhanced batteries, I've heard it. I think it's a topic that comes up every year or so that graphene can improve battery performance. I think that's is an interesting way to go, but, but so far I've I don't think they are close to application. Um, the only thing graphene related might be nanocarbon tubes which actually are very interesting cell additive for, for battery cells. And, but but uh, the same goes for aluminum-based aluminum -based battery technologies. To me, they, they are not, not yet market ready for market application. And I don't know of any project that really want to push them to a large scale. Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you, Benedict. Um, just a couple of follow-ups as well. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on, I think I'm hearing an echo. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, what do you think about using electrolysis and scale it up for, uh, say, transportation purposes? And the other part is, I don't know whether it is under the interest of this group, but uh, what do you think about fuel cells? Um, do you have any reflections on a couple of uh, th those two aspects? Hydrogen fuel cells. Yeah. Hydrogen to me is, is will be relevant, but um, not in the passenger cars. That's a clear no from my side. Maybe for very large passenger SUVs with very long range or something like that. But I don't see that as, as a viable technology alternative for batteries for, for vehicle, for um, passenger vehicles. For long-range trucks, there might be an opening here um, just because the batteries have to get so big that it might have a negative impact on, on the truck performance. But, yeah, so to me, 
Fuel cells have always been the less attractive option compared to battery for most um, car applications, I would call them. Thank you, Benedict. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to chime in and, um, you know, continue the conversation. Again, I'll just introduce myself. I am uh, Shri and I'm currently working in the e-mobility space, uh, working with a, uh, an R&D based company based out of India, uh, which manufactures battery management systems. So my question is just a follow up to the conversation that Sijo and Benedict were having. Uh, Benedict, you mentioned that um, Recycling is a really good option when we talk about battery technology and you know bringing about sustainability in the uh, practice. I wanted to understand whether uh, reusing or rather looking at the second life of the battery would be a better option in comparison uh, to recycling these battery packs. Wanted to know your perspective on this. Um, so, so production of battery packs is, is social and um, please interrupt me if, if I didn't catch your um, question correctly, but production of battery packs and modules, I would say is, is essentially, um, of course, very important also and, and whatever. So, so that might be, that might be a very important topic that, that actually I, um, had a, a guy, guy from, from a battery equipment manufacturer make to me, you always have to look at all the battery production and actually, yeah, everything that has to do with batteries. Once you, you have coated your electrodes, that's where you define the performance of your battery. After that, you can only worsen your performance. You can only make mistakes after electrode production. You cannot improve it. You cannot make out of a bad electrode. You cannot make a good battery cell or a, a good battery pack. And and just just to give give you a, a rough uh, um just to give you that overall notion and, and of course battery pack assembly, battery module assembly also follows this logic. And um, so, so here you essentially have processes that I think are quite familiar for the industry. And that, that's a good thing because um, stack or, or welding and, and stacking processes are, are quite well understood in the industry and quite, yeah, even car manufacturers understand these processes quite well. So um, for, for battery pack production, I, I think the the big quality issues are are easier to tackle than than the big quality issues in in some manufacturing you can also see that with with um i would call it the the level of comfort that that car manufacturers have with battery packs and battery modules and usually they they, they feel very confident to produce for example the battery pack themselves for the battery cell they've been um, very reluctant for a long while, and you can see them now changing their their opinion. So, yeah, that would be essentially the point for battery pack production. The challenge here, the technology roadmap, the technology development that I see is that you have to, to, to this this trend to go towards cell to pack concepts. So you lose a lot of the the complexity of, of pack and module designs in order to basically install as, as many battery cells 
in, in, the, in, the, in the car as possible to increase energy density and reduce costs. And that, of course, means on the one side, a streamlining of, of all designs um, from battery cell to, to battery pack. But at the same time, it means that, that you have you have to to, um, to master all the challenges of, 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 of that a battery has to to survive with with less um, how, how else can I say it? You really need to make sure that your battery design is, is on top of all the challenges that it will have to face during its lifetime, but you don't have as many safety levels left. So current Battery designs have safety measures on cell level, safety manage, safety measures on, on, on module level, safety measures on pack level. And then you see more and more um, these, these several layers of, of protection that they get get taken out due to cost and and, and yeah, due to the reason for simplification of, of the overall setups. So, so here um, um, I, I don't, I don't have a clear answer where this will end, but but I think here we will see that at some point this this rationalization of battery design, battery pack design, will will lead to cell to cell to pack concepts and cell to pack batteries, and yeah. Thanks so much, Benedict and Shrey. Uh, we are closing into the last 15 minutes of the session. Just like to give Dan the chance to speak as well. Dan, are you still there? I am still here, thank you. Uh, it seems like not that long ago that there was a business model developing that involved, <clears throat> excuse me, um, swapping out batteries uh, as opposed to recharging. And I realized the other day that I haven't really heard anything about that in some time. And so I'm wondering if indeed that business model is dead or, uh, or whether it's not. And, and if it has been uh, you know, declared as not viable, did it somehow have to do with the battery technology? So I hope that question is appropriate given the context of, of everything else here. But um, just wondering if anyone can uh, update me on that. Thanks. Yeah, uh, sure. I think um, then it's. I can give you the, my opinion on that. Um, um, it for me, it doesn't have to do as much with, with battery performance or, or battery technology. Um, I think that actually to start like that, I think there are still companies that offer it in the Chinese market, especially. I think Neo is doing it. The battery swapping. Um, and that has to do less with battery technology, from my understanding, but more with charging technology. So with cars like the, the Audi e-tron or the, the, the new um, the version 3 um, supercharger from Tesla um, or the, the Porsche Taycan that can all do the fast charging in 10 to 20 minutes, I think fast charging just became was the technology that basically overtook battery swapping. And the, the other thing, the, the Achilles heel of battery swapping, I would say, comes down to costs. If you just 
I think a rough calculation that you can do is, is you know, a battery pack costs, I think, for electric car at least 10, 15,000. Even if you want um, to to just have it replaced, it, it costs a, a lot of money. And if you just calculate that with the batteries you would have to have on stock for, for, for supplying a large car fleet, that, that will put you in a investment just for the batteries lying around of of billions of dollars I, I would say and and that's of course something that most most car manufacturers are very hesitant to to do you know to just buy all these batteries to have them lie around at different locations i would like to add uh, that with the new tesla uh, structural batteries uh, peg is not possible because uh, uh, Tesla is building down uh, in uh, Berlin and Austin, Texas, the structural battery packs. Uh, so basically, you cannot change them. Another thing maybe to add as well is, because this is also a topic which we had kind of in previous sessions, so there's like new companies such as like Ampel, so A-M-P-L-A, oh no, E in end, um, A-M-P-L-E dot com, for example, and they work on like a modular, you know, system where you can swap these modules, the battery modules. Um, and yeah, maybe suggest or something. But essentially, so they also, I think, really targeting, you know, like fleet sharing, like, you know, Ubers of this world. So they're doing some pilots as far as I've seen in the US and San Francisco now with swappable batteries for these Uber cars. So they're using some, yeah, you know, like simple Renault, Nissan, like some more simple cars, let's say electric cars, rather than Tesla. So I think there could be some niche for it. But yeah, it would be... It'd be interesting to see, you know, how if it gets widely adopted, then also what could be the, the use cases for it. CJ, did you have a point? Or Dan? Yeah, thanks. Oh, sorry. I was going to thank you. Go ahead. Uh, hi, Simon. I, I just wanted to second your thought as well as uh, support the concept of modularity. So I just, uh, I was just tapping it to show the appreciation. Yeah, thank you. Then you want to ask the question or can I? No, I was just going to uh, express my appreciation for updating me on all of this. Uh, Benedict, can I ask the question about uh, what do you think about this uh, uh, new 4680 uh, dry electric battery, structural battery pack from Tesla? I think it's a, a second generation of lithium-ion battery. We had it up, if it, you said if it were, will work, yes? So assume, let's assume that it will work. Do you agree with me? It's second generation of lithium-ion battery. We had the first generation for 30 years, commercialized by Sony in 1991. And I think now we have uh, the second generation from lithium -ion, of lithium-ion battery from Tesla. Uh, combine those technologies, manufacturing and everything. Uh, yeah, um, Milos. Um, I I'm not sure if I would call it the second generation because I think there were some generations in between the Sony and the current cell designs. So, for example, for me, the the Chevy Volt I think is something that is very rarely talked about. That actually got this first large, uh, at least to to my knowledge, this first large pouch cell with NMC technology into into the market. That would be. I think the second generation to me, 
Um, but you're right. This, this, um, so, so my, maybe to explain my point of view on this te Tesla technology, if everything works, that, that cell would be on the same, this battery concept would be at the same level for me as a all solid state battery. And that's to me also the reason why we, I haven't heard of any solid state plans from Tesla because I think they have this technology where they want to focus on. And if they can reach all their goals, they will be competitive with all solid state. And I think that's, that's a great approach. And, and that's, I think, Milos, what, what you wanted to get at with this new generation of batteries. So the, the, for me, the, the 4680 with all the new materials and, and the dry coating and all that, that would be a technology that is competitive with, with all solid state and the next generation of battery technology. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, solid state is not yet competitive because uh, nobody uh, showed me a prototype of the battery uh, independently verified, you know. So uh, how we can go from the uh, uh, from the research to commercialization if we don't have even yet prototype that it works? Yeah, with the prototype, I would argue that, that there are some out there, I think, the... I'm not sure if I wanted to call the quantum scape a, a prototype, but they've at least shown a working pilot cell. You've seen guys like, I think they're called Fractorial, Factorial, that have shown some, some prototype. I mean, with all these new technologies, also with Tesla, you can always be critical. So, so for example, I haven't seen the, the, the prototype for the working 4680 with the silicon anode and dry coating and all that. I haven't seen a working prototype for that as well. So, so for me, it's both solid state and this new Tesla technology. It's both promising. And now I think they have to do a lot of work to, to, to get it done, uh, to get it to market. And, um, I, I could not right now. I could not state where, where I think which, which, or, or currently I cannot tell you which technology will be more successful at this point because it's both they both have still challenges to master i understand you brilliant thanks so much milos as well and benedict of course and um yeah this is just the last few minutes so if there's any last questions from the group or the audience now could be a good time to to raise it and otherwise we're also going to a bit of a look at what's going to happen next week and beyond. Anybody has any questions? Did you? Um, yeah. So uh, I, I, I just wanted to uh, seek information from beginner's perspective. So Benedict, do you have any suggestion uh, for a beginner to begin um, learning more about the battery technology? Um, where to start? Is there any resources that you could refer to? Thank you. Yeah, see, uh, I can, I mean, there, there are a lot of good review papers and, 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 um, sources in the, uh, online. Um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Maybe I can send you over some links so I don't have any titles with me now or anything like that. To be honest with, with battery production, I think to give you a very start, a very good first idea how it works is to really, it sounds a little stupid, but that's also how I started a couple of years ago. 
look at at you watch some videos of running battery productions in, in, in YouTube, on YouTube. And I still do that today. If I don't, for example, understand the production process, I, I look if there's some promotional video or something like that from a certain kind of battery production equipment and just watch it to understand how the machine works because it's it's a very physical and, and it's a manufacturing process. So you can see everything that's going on. And what I usually do just to be very practical, I, I reduce the speed to watch it frame by frame and really understand how the steps go, how the steps work. And I think if you combine that with some literature research and then some some papers, I think you can get a very good good uh, understanding of battery production. Yeah. Thank I, you, Benedict. Maya, give a quick question. Yeah, I just want to ask about this startup at MIT called Ambry Batteries, which is started by this professor, very famous professor called uh, Donald Sadoway. So. Any updates on that and how, how would you rank it as a technology? Do you think it's a potentially good technology since it is also backed by the breakthrough energy ventures? Yeah, that's my question. Benedict, if you don't know technology, I can answer. Yeah, Milos, just uh, go ahead. I, I'm not, uh, I'm just looking for if I know the technology. Yeah, the Dan, I know Dan Sadoway for more than 25 years because he's coming from the steel industry. I mean, he's a technology in the steel industry. So uh, I know this technology relatively well. It's promising technology, but like, uh, I mean, I think uh, he's uh, further away uh, from the, uh, like those uh, breakthrough technologies like solid state and other technologies. But the... Uh, it's not yet commercialized. So basically, he's got the prototype. You can uh, use this battery. It, uh, the, his problem or the problem with this battery is op it operates only in the high, very high temperature. So basically, uh, uh, you need to warm this battery to the certain temperature. I think it's 400 uh, degrees Celsius or maybe 600 degrees Celsius. So extremely high temperature uh, this battery is operating on. And it's suitable, if it's going to be commercialized, it's suitable for the uh, energy storage system, not for the cars, obviously. Right, right. The energy grid, I think, is what he's focusing at. And yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great point. I'll, uh, I'll consider that. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. But from development point of view, uh, he's... Uh, uh, he he's got the viable technology which we can he can show that it works. So basically, it works. Uh, the batteries are produced today. I mean, they are just not used. They were not commercialized. Right, but it has huge potential in that case. Yeah, thank you, my young buddy. It's definitely one of these startups which has been there for a long time and you know always waiting for more announcements. So I think it also shows right how challenging it can be. I think as many other startups, you know, like Benedict also mentioned earlier, was Graphene and lots of companies, you know, um, claiming the big breakthrough. And, you know, sometimes they have it, but also many times it doesn't go as fast as, as anticipated. And I guess that's, that's part of, you know, the excitement, which is also maybe a quick segue to, you know, the excitement of um, Battery Den, which we're going to have um, coming up, as I mentioned earlier, where battery startups can pitch 
in this forum here on, on Clubhouse. We have like a bunch of nice um, panelists and um, experts and investors in the room as well. So it's a really nice forum. So if you're interested, feel free to check out um, batterevolution.club or connect with Catherine and myself on LinkedIn. We can connect there as well. Um, just looking at the time, unfortunately, Lisa, I know you raised your hand. I tried to accept you many times. Somehow it doesn't let me. And yeah, it's it's as usual, people getting the most interested in the last minutes, but I think we are trying to stick to the one half hours. Before I leave it to Catherine to also close up the session and maybe provide an outlook for next week's session, um, which is already scheduled. You can see it if you follow Battery Revolution on the top left, and um, then you get notified about next week's session as well. I also really want to thank Benedict for being with us today. I think it was a really excellent um, overview. He provided lots of, you know, really gave lots of answers to many questions in very diverse directions, which was fantastic. You know, as you can see, he's also new to Clubhouse, as you also mentioned in the beginning. So you see a little party, party head, yes, on the left side. And yeah, so give him a follow, you know. I mean, you can maybe increase his follows a bit today and, you know, keep him encouraged to stay around. And um, yeah, just a big shout out to Benedict. And, you know, if you want to connect with him, I'm sure you can do so as well. And um, yeah, also maybe a quick um, plug as well to say that I'm also very excited that Benedict actually going to join the, as a speaker, as a lecturer for the next Battery MBA. So people who know me, I'm running a program with my company, Battery Associates, called Battery MBA, battery.mba. And Catherine going to be a speaker at this call, which I'm very excited about. But also Benedict going to be a speaker for the next cohort. So very much looking forward to have even more insights there and also have some of these nice graphs I'm sure he has as well. Great. With that, maybe I'll leave it to Catherine to, to have an outlook for next week and close out the room. Great. Thank you so much, Simon. And thank you once again to Benedict. Um, everyone, please give him a big um, shout out and uh, also follow him on Clubhouse as well. Um, so yeah, next we will be speaking with one of our panelists, actually, for Battery Den um, on Second Life. So feel free to tune in same time at 3 p.m. CET on Saturday. For those of you who are new to Clubhouse, um, Give us a follow on our club for Battery Revolution, and you can um, see all the updates for events as well. So if you do know any startups um, and who will be interested to connect with battery experts and uh, VCs in this space, feel free to um, send them our way, um, and we can loop them in for the next Battery Dump, which will take place on the last Saturday of June um, for our second Battery Dump session. So. Thank you, everyone, for staying, um, and we look forward to seeing you next week as well. Have a great rest of the day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you. Sajor. Bye. Thank you.